Amen and amen. We're going to continue in worship. I'd like for you to sit down, please, and we're going to pray for other people in our own community, in our church, and around the world. And so I'd like for you to sit down um, and in an attentive way. So put your stuff down the floor, scoot your rear end back in the seat, and uh, so that we can go before God with full attention. We're going to pray for the 11 initiatives of Fearless. Fearless is a 36-month-long um, financial challenge around here that we are almost two years into. It um, is things, it, it covers initiatives about the gospel being preached in other places, um, our own students around here, our children, um, all sorts of things, as you'll see here in just a moment. And we wanted to do this this morning in this prayerful way, because you know Lakeland's a pretty activistic church, and uh, you know if we're not getting something done, we kind of feel like slouches. And so we talk a lot about fearless. We say, hey, the money's going great, or it's all positive, it's all excellent, everybody's doing a great job, and we're describing things, and we're working on stuff. When do we ever just stop and just pray for these things? When do we just stop and rest, take a long, slow 10 minutes or so in a service, and just pray for all of these things, orphans and all the rest of it. So that's what we're going to do now, and that's why you're paying attention, and that's why we have a representative from every one of these ministries up here who will light a candle as we pray for these things. So settle in. It's a time of worship, a time of prayer, and let's work on breaking the, uh, bringing these things before God, okay? Lord, protect the orphan. In your heavenly mansion, there are rooms for everyone. May we reflect your glory and be heaven's home to every orphan in the world. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, heal the sick. May the suffering women of Liberia be given back their health and dignity. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, rescue the slaves. May the voice of Jesus, full of grace and the lifting up of faces, continue 
as women are saved from prostitution and shame here in our community. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, bless the children in our community. We pray for strength and courage, resolve and rest for the leadership of Prodeo. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, feed the hungry. Lord, we pray for the children of Annapur to grow strong and parents not to fear where their next meal will come from. May whoever gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones in the name of Jesus find the reward of generosity in you, Lord. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, bind up the broken. Who is our neighbor, Lord? All we come across in our lives are our neighbors. May we spend eternity knowing as many names and faces in heaven as possible. May we invest in our under-resourced neighbors in our urban neighborhoods and core. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, may we spread the gospel. We pray, we pray, Father, for Pastor Jack and Hannah Leo. May they be wise about how to lead this vital ministry in China for the sake of the gospel. Lord, may you send out workers into the fields, for they are white for harvest. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, bless our children. Lord, each child and student is a gift from you to us. 
May we do all that's in our power to bring the next generation to your salvation and presence. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, may we steward our home that you've given us. May we be good stewards of the treasures you've entrusted with us, Lord. And Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, may we gather at the table as the Emmaus Road disciples broke bread in your presence, Lord Jesus. May we break bread together in your presence. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Let us worship our Lord. May we be excellent stewards of your church and all its resources. Give us wisdom to know how to reach our neighbors who are far from you. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Amen. Thank you, everyone. Amen. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Please be seated. Good morning. Thank you, Wendy. Well, I am a little froggy this morning and... I think it makes me sound like Severus Snape. <laughs> Mr. Potter, the dark arts are not to be trifled with. So, uh, there's going to be a lot of that this morning, so get ready. So this is our Difficult Questions series, and uh, we, uh, this, back in September, a lot, many of you filled out these Difficult Question cards, passed them into the offering, sermons you wanted to hear in the new year. So these are the group of the second most asked questions. They go like this. This first one is not a question. It is a statement, but you'll see where we're going with it. It says, I'm not sure I can follow a God who seems to condemn to hell those who don't have a fair chance to know Jesus. For example, they were raised Buddhist. Um, another, another of you wrote, There are a myriad of varying beliefs and contradictory stances throughout Christianity. How do we know that our particular beliefs are correct? So we're going to address these questions this morning, plus half a dozen more. But before we can do that, we'll have to come to a few understandings. We'll have to come to a correct understanding of who God is and who we are. And what's going on in the universe, particularly between us and God? 
Because if we don't know who God is and we don't know who we are and we don't know what's going on in the universe, then we can't come at these questions in any way that would make sense. So let's do our background work and then we're going to get started. So, who is God? In the Christian worldview, God is the creator of everything. In the scriptures that have been passed down to us, we are told God is love. So if we bring those together, for reasons we can only guess, God has created a universe. And on at least one planet, he has placed plants and animals and human beings to know him and to love him. The story of our history tells us that we often uh, misunderstand God and his love. So God came to us as Jesus And through Jesus, the power, but more importantly, the love of God is revealed. He is a God, in fact, who loves us so much, he's even willing to die to demonstrate it. And he raises Jesus from the dead to put his seal of approval on that message and picture of himself and to show uh, the complete story of what he wants for all people everywhere. That's who God is. So who are we? We, therefore, are God's creation. In a way, we are God's children. And he loves us that way, if you believe what the Bible says. But in order for love to be a two-way street, in order for it to be real love, he gives us the choice whether or not to love him in return. And apparently, from the very beginning of human history, we are greatly confused about God and his love. We're suspicious of God. We're afraid of God, or we're just ignorant of God. We don't know Him, and so we wander away from God. We do the very things He warned us not to do. We have Jesus to look at and to see who God is and and what He's like. And most people who look at Jesus will say, He's a good figure. All but the most hard-bitten people, when they look at Jesus, say, Jesus is just all right with me. Um... (laughs) Jesus is a good figure from history, at least. But that doesn't seem to be enough for everyone to love God back and to follow him. That's who we are. So what's going on in the universe? I want to start by saying clearly what's not going on in the universe. I first want to say what's not going on. And that is uh, that this life we're all living This is not like the arena in the Hunger Games. If you're too old for the Hunger Games, I'll say this is not like the arena in the Running Man. If you're too old for the Running Man, I'll say like Logan's Run. It's not like that. If you're too old for that, it's not like that planet where Captain Kirk and the Gorn get dropped off to to test each other. If you're too old for that, I'll say Ben-Hur. If you're too old for Ben-Hur, frankly, I'm impressed you're still awake this far into the service. I'm saying... This is not a treacherous obstacle course that God has dropped us into to test us to see if we're qualified for heaven. That's not what's going on. This life is not a treacherous obstacle course that God has dropped us into to see if we're qualified for heaven. This life that you and I are living, it is life. This world that we're living in is the world God made. Now, you've been around in it. You know there are beautiful places. You know there are wondrous things in this creation. And there is still enough on this planet for everybody. God wants you to have life. He wanted us to have eternal life. He still wants us to have eternal life. But we won't be able to live eternal life 
eternal life in his creation unless we're willing to live his way. This is going to be the most important thing for you this morning. All these things that God calls sin, these are not little tests he drops in of your willpower and mine. What God calls sin are all the things that destroy life or destroy creation. Sin are all the things that if we had eternal life back and we kept doing them, would slowly turn earth back into hell. That's what sins are. Now many of you will say, especially if you watch the nightly news, that the earth looks an awful lot like hell already. And you're not wrong. But imagine if Hitler were immortal. Imagine if ISIS and their an agenda could just go and their agenda could just go on and on forever, never wearing out, never weakening, never growing old, and never dying. Imagine if your greedy, vengeful neighbor or your boss or whoever the boogeyman is in your life could never grow old, never get weak, and never die. Imagine what they could turn the earth into after uh, really a, a short amount of time, much less an eternal amount of time. So God sends Jesus, uh, uh, and so that's why we don't have eternal life now. So God sends Jesus to show us another way. And when we turn toward Jesus, the hellish parts of our life begin to turn into something more heavenly. That's what the church is supposed to be, everyone. That's what we've gathered here this morning to be. A a spot on a street corner in this time and this place where people can poke their heads and, and see what's going on and say, oh, this is a glimpse of the kingdom of God? Oh, well, then I do want to join it. I I thought it was something else. That's what we're here to be, an example of what Christ's rule will be like, only everywhere. Now, I don't know how long the world's going to keep going on in the fashion that it is right now. Jesus said even he didn't know when, but at some point, God would say, enough chances have been given and enough time has passed. Now let's separate those who are ready for this kingdom from those who just don't want it. And so heaven is eternal life on an eternal earth just the way he created it to be in Genesis chapter 1. So hell then, hell is a hard to understand other dimension of reality for those who are never quite convinced that God's way was better. Perhaps they don't want to love that way. Perhaps they don't want equality. Perhaps they don't want to be ruled by anyone, no matter how good they claim to be. Now, God could make these people think differently in a mind-controlling sort of way, but that isn't love. They really wouldn't be members of the family if he did that. They'd be like the Avox standing around. If you're too old for the Avox, like the Borg. If you're too old for the Borg, oh, you get where we're going with that. <clears throat> a king can make a girl marry him, but unless she chose to marry him, she isn't really in love with him. And by most definitions, not really his wife. God wants children who are really his loving children. And so they all are given the choice to come home or not and Some won't. And you see them every day on the nightly news. And the truth is, you don't want to live in an eternity with them if that's what they have planned. And the the real truth is, they don't want to live in an eternity with you either. 
they surely don't want to be turned into Christians against their will at the last minute, and, and that's not what's going to happen. And so all of the terrorists and all of the rapists and all of the greedy, greedy rich guys, they all end up together in this one dimension. And we imagine that and think, that will be terrible. And it will be terrible. But I have to wonder if those in it won't be saying, oh, this is horrible. But at least there's no cops here. I mean, there's some cops here, but they're the kind you can bribe to get around. I mean, at least there's no preachers here. Oh, I mean, there's lots of preachers here, but they're just chasing... Money and skirts like the rest of us. Well, there's no whining kids here. That's a big plus. I can finally do what I want when I want. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'd give anything to get out of here, but I'm not getting out on Jesus' terms the way he says to get out. C.S. Lewis says, if the doors of hell are locked, they're locked from the inside. And meanwhile, in some other dimension, heaven begins. And for eternity... All races are equal. Everyone is content with what the good earth gives us and grateful for it. When mistakes get made, there's immediate forgiveness. We're patient when we can't have what we want right away. And we don't envy what others have. You know in the kingdom of Christ, Hawaii is going to fill up really quickly. (laughs) But there'll never be a plan from the rest of us to go take it away from them and have it for ourselves. You won't need a street light, and you won't need a gun, and you won't need car keys or locked doors or secret ballot voting, because we're just not that suspicious of one another anymore. Revelation says the gates of the city will be open day and night, because there's no fear of attack on all the earth. When we disagree, we'll ask a third party how it should go, and we'll accept their answer, and we'll live by it. Whatever the Lord says to do on any given day, that's what we'll do. No more arguing or hesitating or searching for loopholes. And you'll have time. You'll have time to go see Angel Falls and the pyramids and the holy city of Jerusalem. And you'll learn to play piano if you want. And you can run a marathon and you can get in a mini-sub and finally see the Titanic. You can catch up on your reading. You can take a nap. You can explore the solar system. Why not? With eternal life, maybe we can finally go meet the neighbors. This is the kingdom of Christ. That's who God is, and that's who we are, and and that's what's going on in the universe. Given that information, now I think we can address these questions probably quicker than we could have before. So one of you wrote, there are a myriad of varying beliefs and contradictory stances throughout Christianity. How do we know our particular beliefs are correct? Another one wrote, why are there so many different denominations and beliefs if there's only one Bible? How do you know which is the correct way? Well, of course, now that we realize this Life is not a cosmic game show that God is playing with us. We realize these questions don't matter as much as they did 12 minutes ago. This morning is not a test to see if you chose rightly when you got up and came to Lakeland Community Church instead of Woods Chapel United Methodist to the north or St. Anne's Episcopal to the west or Lee Summit Bible Church to the east. 
There are so many of these divisions even on this street corner within the church because we spent the last 500 years arguing about how to baptize people and who can be a minister and who can't and should we be using uh, musical instruments in worship or not. But in time, I believe, we're coming to see that any church who proclaims God the Father Almighty and Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, and the Holy Spirit, and the forgiveness of sins and the resurrection of the body is participating in the mission of God. And they are our brothers and sisters, and they are spreading the good news of Jesus Christ a block away in every direction. Now, I tell your kids when they take the confirmation class, someday you're going to spend the night at a friend's house, and that friend's going to invite you to go to church with them in the morning. When you go to church with your friend, you're going to see some things that you like better than Lakeland. And you're going to see some things at your friend's church that you don't like at all compared to Lakeland. But that doesn't mean you have to dislike our church or or dislike theirs. Our church is not better or worse. It's just different. It's like this. I like the way my family, the Leahy's, celebrates Christmas. I've heard your traditions, and I like the way my family celebrates Christmas better than I like the way your family celebrates Christmas. But that doesn't mean your family's not celebrating Christmas, and it doesn't mean I'm not happy for you that you like it. So open one gift on Christmas Eve, and, you know, God bless you. Not doing it at my house. And it doesn't mean God's not receiving worship in both places. In the same way, I like being part of Lakeland Community Church better than I would like being a part of the other churches in the neighborhood. And I should. This is my family. You are my family. That doesn't mean the other churches are doing it wrong. It doesn't mean God's not worshiped by both. So, should women be pastors? Should babies be baptized? Should we be using a drum kit in worship? We're all going to find out in the end we were right about some of these things and wrong about some of these things. But the God Jesus revealed to us is not a God who's going to hold those types of issues against us. So the answer directly to these questions is, I don't know if Lakeland is more correct than other Christian churches, but I, I don't really think it matters that much. We have genuinely tried to worship him as we thought best. And if Jesus is right about God, that will be good enough. Another of you wrote this question. Skipping Sunday service for another worship service. Is that okay? Is that approved of? Is there something wrong with doing that? Uh, Absolutely worship with other congregations. That's... Totally fine. Just last week, uh, Pastor Dan was over in Belton worshiping at Vox Day with our uh, friend Rustin Smith. So send our blessing. Tell them we appreciate the work of Jesus that they're doing in their neighborhood. If you see something wonderful there, bring it back here. We'll steal it and do a version of it here. <clears throat> but I, as I tell my kids, this is your family, and you can't eat dinner at the neighbor's house every night. We need you here, and, and, and you need to be here, but if you eat dinner at the neighbor's house around the Lord's table, it's fine. Next question. As a community church, do we have any plans to engage and participate in cross-faith projects? 
especially with the Muslim and Islamic faith, to foster understanding and cooperation amongst all people. So I want to, I want to thank whoever wrote this for writing it during an election year. <clears throat> While everyone's all calm and filled with love. <laughs> all right. Uh, here at Lakeland, we do foster friendship with the Islamic community living here in Lee Summit uh, by letting them uh, use our building, r- rental just like anyone else, when they have religious feasts or birthday parties or engagement celebrations. My personal hope in doing that is someday when one of those little Islamic boys who's running around in our lobby is told, now don't forget Christians hate you. And don't forget they don't want you living in this community and calling yourself an American. That one of those boys will say, well, I don't know if that's true. The Christian church in our neighborhood welcomed us all year round. Will we be doing more than that with them? Perhaps if it it goes on long enough. But we're going to go slow with that relationship. And and we want to make sure that we understand each other. Uh, Because the truth told, as much as we love them and think they are beautiful people and their food smells amazing and I want to be invited to eat it, (laughs) uh, we still believe in our heart they need the love of Jesus to truly, truly understand who God is and who we are and what's going on in the universe. Truth told, the Islamic version of who God is and, and who we are and what's going on in the universe, I, I just don't uh, find helpful. We already had one little run-in. I didn't say this in first service, but I showed up one morning and a member of their community was running for public office in 2012 and they got really excited and they put uh, road signs all the way along our front real estate there on Colburn Road for their candidate, giving the impression that Lakeland was now endorsing an Islamic Democrat for office. (laughs) I'm running around pulling them up. We had to explain to them that churches are not allowed to endorse candidates, so that was good. It's a a relationship in progress. Okay. Uh, We have made the first gesture of friendship to our Muslim neighbors. I want to say that I am proud of you as a congregation for not making a big fuss about it. I know you have been uneasy, especially since we have been at war with one Islamic nation or another for the last 15 years, but I believe you have handled yourself as true Christians. You know you did what Jesus would have told you to do had you asked him face to face. I have Muslim neighbors, one of their girls is getting engaged, they want to throw a party in my living room. You know you did what Jesus would have told you to do if you asked him that face to face. So well done. Here are some more questions, three of a kind. What about people that never hear the word? One of you wrote, I'm not sure I can follow a God who seems to condemn to hell those who don't have a fair chance to know Jesus, raise Buddhists, etc., How does a Jewish person get to heaven if they don't believe in Jesus as the Messiah? Once again, from our background work, this is not a cosmic game show to see if you picked the right religion. You already know God is in love with every person on earth with a father's love. Jesus never said anything but that. However, eternal life depends on our choosing to accept that love. 
so that once we're given eternal life again, we won't wreck his beautiful creation the way we have the first time. So if the only thing wrong with these people, and that's a big statement, but if the only thing wrong with these people is is that a missionary didn't make it to their neck of the woods in China or Israel, do you know God is going to be fair and just about that? You didn't need me to tell you that. Jesus in Matthew 25 tells this story, uh, paints a picture of uh, people appearing before God. And there's one group of people who ask, when did we ever see you, God, sick or in prison and visit you? And the king, God, will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it for one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it for me. So if these folks you're writing about have lived as Jesus lived, without having heard the name of Jesus, he says they're still ready for the kingdom of God. This is not a game show to see if you're offered religion number one, religion number two, religion number three. You pick one, and only after the curtain goes up do you get to find out if you want anything. Paul speaks against this type of thinking in Romans chapter 2. He says, even Gentiles who do not have God's written law show that they know his law when they instinctively obey it, even without having heard it. They demonstrate that God's law is written on their hearts for their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them they're doing right. And this is the message I proclaim. The day is coming when God, through Christ Jesus, will judge everyone's secret life. Paul's warning his readers, don't be sitting here saying, oh, I go to this temple and I follow that religion. It's not about that. It's about a secret life in the heart that God can see and will judge. He goes on a little later to say, someday you're going to be quite surprised when some of these, in Romans chapter 3, he says, some of these pagans will show you up when you compare their life to yours. So if someone is feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, caring for the sick, visiting the imprisoned, Jesus says, you're doing these things for him whether you knew it or not. Such people are ready for the kingdom. They'll enter it. And when they find out that Jesus is what God is like, they'll be happier than they were before because obviously in their hearts they already thought God was a little bit like that. Now, if you feel like what we're saying here violates Christian theology of salvation by grace alone, not by good behavior, hang on a minute. We are going to get to that in this next question. One of you wrote, People that are truly good, underlined it twice, will they be given a chance at the last moment to accept Jesus? Everyone, people that are truly good, underlined twice, won't need a second chance to accept Jesus because they already accepted him the first time. Whether they knew that name or not, God gave them some light in their heart about right and wrong, Paul says. And they lived that, if they lived that way and according to it, then they are ready for the kingdom of God. But now we have to get real for just a moment. There are far fewer of these good, underlined twice people than we think. Romans chapter 3 Paul quotes the Old Testament and says, No one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good. Not a single one. Now, I only have my own life to support this. 
I'm the only person I really know, and uh, sometimes I question if I really know myself all that well. <clears throat> but if I died tomorrow, I'm pretty sure you would all sit here at the end of the week at a funeral and say, uh, what a saint of God, and what a good man, and he's in heaven now watching Star Wars with Jesus. <laughs> but if you waited a few years and you asked my wife and kids, was he really as good as he seemed in all those sermons? If they're honest, they'd have to say, not really. I mean, he could be good, but he had plenty of dark moments. And if you ask my family I grew up with, brothers, sisters, parents, uh, they would just tell you the only good thing he ever did came from his relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you put all those things he did in Jesus' name on a scale with some of the wickedness we saw, still doesn't add up. I'm telling you, I have secrets. Every day, thoughts go in and out of this mind. Words come out of this mouth that aren't fit for prime time. Deeds are done in secret, which embarrass me so much, I don't even write about them in my private journal. If those things are not covered by the forgiveness of Christ, I am doomed, and I'm telling you that I, I know that. But I have come to believe that those things are covered by the forgiveness of Christ, demonstrated on the cross. And the unexpected effect that knowledge has is it gives me strength and hope to try again. So I'm not lost yet. So I still have the day. Every morning's like waking up after the Christmas carol or it's a wonderful life. Wait, I have the rest of my life to do it better. That's fantastic news. I believe most people in the world are more like the real me than the good me that's going to be described at my funeral. So what I've said is that if there are good people underlined twice, then they are following Christ and they get it. But I'm also saying I don't. I'm sure there must be a couple because Paul said someday you'll be shown up by some people who you were surprised. And I don't think there's very many. That little rant from the Old Testament said none this is why it's worth our time to share the good news of Jesus because it gives everyone in the world a chance to be free from their secret sinful self and be more like the man or woman God made them to be because of the hope it gives if they don't need that then God knows that and God judges that fairly and it's not my business if they need it or not Jesus tells me repeatedly not to judge the eternal destiny of other people. He also tells me repeatedly to tell the whole world about him because the hope he brings is a powerful tool in saving us from our secret sinful selves. So here at Lakeland, that's what we do. We share the good news because it's made such a difference for me. It's made such a difference for us. We believe it can make a difference for you and for everyone, even on the other side of the world. Judging and deciding what's going to happen to people who don't hear that message, we leave that to God. He knows and can handle that better than we could ever sort it out. But we do our best to make sure everyone gets a chance to hear how amazing God is as Jesus revealed him, and there's nothing wrong with that. 
We do the best we can to make sure everyone has a chance to hear how amazing God is, and there's nothing wrong with that. So I want to thank everyone who wrote these questions because they led us this morning to talk about the very core of our faith, that God made the universe and loves every creature in it. He gave us a choice to love him in return forever. We get, when we get confused about what kind of God he is, he sends us Jesus to show us how to be human and how far God is willing to go to show his love and forgiveness for us, even at the cross. And he calls us together to be the church, to share this good news with the world, starting with just this block, this half of the county, and then reaching to the other side of the world. He's always fair, He's always just, and we can trust him. And when we trust him, he changes us into who we were meant to be. I invite you to stand up and receive the benediction. Benediction means the good word. So a word of blessing. The pastor will sometimes hold their hand up like this, signifying the word, good word going out on you. If you like, you can hold your hands like this, signifying you're receiving that word. That's up to you. But I want to say that may the Lord bless you and keep you, keep you close to him so that you always know you are his. May the Lord make his face shine upon you so that you'll know his presence and his attention is always fixed on you. May the Lord lift up his countenance on you. May people who are around you know that the presence of God is in you and around your life. And may he give you peace, peace and rest from all that weighs you down now and forever. Amen.